Welcome to the Quality Improvement Box Set by RCVS Knowledge, a series of webinars, podcasts and video interviews for practices and practitioners. Hi everyone, today I'm going to be talking to Caroline Friedman. Caroline is a pet owner and has been the representative of pet owners on Practice Standards Group for the last eight years. She has um, a dog, Bertie, at the moment, but has had many dogs in the past who've been solicited veterinary practices, both first opinion veterinary practices and referral veterinary practices. So it'd be really interesting to talk to Caroline today about her experiences of visiting practices and about quality improvement. So hi, Caroline. Morning, Pam. So quality improvement, those words would be a bit um, uh, theoretical to, to the public, but basically what, what it is, is all about is a way that practices and vets can make changes leading to better patient outcomes and better care for your pets and, and better learning for the practice as well. Um, so is that something you'd, you'd expect practices that you visit to be engaging in? Yes, I, I would, Pam. I think uh, the pet owning public um, is becoming more knowledgeable in inverted commas with Google and things like that that they okay. can complaints. And therefore, I think if practices are proactive in letting letting their clients know that they um they're always looking for ways to improve procedures and both surgical procedures and procedures within their practice i think clients would be very uh, grateful for that and expect that nowadays yeah and we use words um, like quality improvement but what it's really about is practices talking about cases discussing cases and making changes if if necessary and, and i'm sure that's the kind of thing most clients would expect do you think they would very much um, expect that and would appreciate feedback from the practices that, that actually is taking place maybe even within the waiting room area once we're allowed back into uh, waiting <laughs> Um, but you know, I think keeping clients informed of what's going on because a lot goes on behind the scenes with the practice team and therefore I think if that's related to clients even while they're waiting to, for their appointment clients are very interested in that. I think you're right and they're interested in knowing the roles of different people within the practice too aren't they? Very much so. And knowing that, um, I think that's very evident now with veterinary nursing which has suddenly come on it's it's a profession in its own right, and um, I think clients realise the veterinary, uh, registered veterinary nurses are doing a lot of different things to help care for their animals apart from the vet. So yes, I think information in the waiting room about all this kind of um, um, topics of improvement and um, advancements would actually be very interesting to the client. So Bertie, has he been for any any procedures recently? Yes, well, Touchwood, he is my healthiest dog I've had so far, and I maybe shouldn't have said that, but um, yes, he just before lockdown, he um, got neutered, and um, so he, he had surgical operation just before lockdown. Okay, and when, when, you, when you had to sign the consent form um, for Bertie's procedure, did, did the practice explain to you some of the risks that might, um, might happen, some things might go wrong? Yes, they went into quite a lot of detail um, about the um, about what I was going to sign with the client um, consent form, and obviously anaesthetic risks, etc., were explained to me, and I was able to ask questions and and get answers from for any concerns I had. Okay. 
Good. Oh, I'm really glad to hear that because I think that's really something that, that that people want to know, isn't it? I mean, we'd want to know ourselves if, if we went for a, a human procedure. And I think it's really important. And if practices are, are, are doing clinical audit, then they may well have some figures um, they, they can share with you. I don't know if the practice you went to had actual figures or just explained it to you. I, I wasn't given figures, um, but I think nowadays with human medicine, um, patients are more and more expecting to, I mean, often if you go for surgery, you will ask a surgeon, what's your success rate? How many operations have you done? So I think this is going to lead to this overlapping into veterinary medicine very much so. And I always make the point that I think the key point is that actually veterinary medicine is private medicine. Therefore, people do want it. The people, clients do feel they're, they're paying for the, the uh, service they're getting for their pet. Therefore, they, I sometimes think they want more information. Yeah, I think uh, being transparent, as you say, is really, really important, isn't it? And, um, and practices can do their own clinical audits in-house, which is great, but they can also um, benchmark them. Um, RCBS Knowledge have a, a surgical outcomes audit where you can practices can benchmark their figures against the average. Now, um, it's interesting what you said about private medicine, because when I went um, to a private hospital for an appointment in their waiting room, they had on the TVs about um, what the surgical site infection rate is nationally and what theirs is. Do you think that kind of transparency would be good in a veterinary practice? I think it would be excellent, Pam. And I think um, more and more, um, it, it's a very good way for the pra for practices to engage with clients. Either, I know a lot of practices maybe have television screens up that can be up there. Even newsletters are sent out or on Facebook. And I think all these things, if you if you keep communication with your clients, you'll end up by keeping your clients for longer and they won't want to go to any other surgery. And I think that's so important because we're talking about with a dog, you're hoping to get maybe 12 to 15 years. And you you know, I don't think a lot of people want to keep changing veterinary practice. They want to stay with a veterinary practice and stay with vets and a team that they trust and look forward to bringing their pet too because they know they'll get the best of care. Absolutely, I agree, Caroline. And veterinary professionals, nurses and vets, our um, aim is to for the best outcomes possible. Uh, nobody goes to work to, to have a, um, an error happen. It's to have the best outcomes possible. So I think, and, and having good long-term relationships with clients makes communication much better and clearer and everything. So that's great. So um, just talking about errors, one way they try and reduce errors, because obviously we can never prevent errors, can we? But one way they try and reduce errors in human medicine is by using surgical safety checklists, which basically means that, um, that, that somebody, uh, before a procedure checks they've got the correct patient and they're going to operate on the right part of that patient um, and they've checked for any allergies or, or, or anything like that um, and these have started to become um, used more now in veterinary practices so do you think that's the kind of thing clients would like to be reassured to think that was being used for their pet? I, actually I think that would be very good um, I think it would be very reassuring for a, a clients to be told that prior to surgery because often I feel with my previous kids we went through quite a few surgical procedures and I often used to think it was all it could sound very negative to clients 
um, you know, the anaesthetic, the death rate, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There was a lot of negatives to give clients prior to surgery. But I think if you, if the vet actually presented all this checklist to the client and said, "This is what we do once surgery starts," I think that would be very reassuring. Yeah, absolutely. And to say these are things we're trying to do to try and. Um, yeah, ensure that that um, obviously things will happen, but these these are the systems systems we've got in place to make those things less likely to happen. You know, and and make and, and checking swab counts and all that kind of thing, um, and having guidelines generally in the practice for some um, some medical conditions too. You know, uh, are all um, part part of having those those um those systems in place for safety. I was just going to say something that struck me over the years with my previous pets because I did spend a lot of time visiting vets, uh, you know, actually general practice and also um, the federal hospital was when I told friends what, what not even surgical procedures, but what attention my pets were getting from the vets, they, their comments used to be, that's actually it's it's just like a human hospital. In fact, it's even better than a human hospital. So I think actually, um, you, it's quite interesting. People who don't have pets don't realise what goes on within a veterinary uh, practice and, and hospital and the the level of care that takes place. No, I think that's right. And this is a way of, of letting them know a little bit about what goes on behind the scenes, isn't it? And, yes. and as you say, reassuring people. But even um, even in the best scenarios and um, sometimes things go wrong don't they and sometimes they're human errors and sometimes they're just things that happen they're not even errors but if that kind of thing happened with your dog as a result of a procedure or a treatment what, what would you expect to happen? I think Pam I would expect honesty from the outset and being told at the earliest possible opportunity exactly what had happened and um, I think that's so important um, and also, I, I would expect to be told um, that the practice had, you know, tried to find out why it had happened, what the reason for it happening, and discussions had taken place and um, protocols being put in place so that this didn't happen again to another uh, pet owning client. Yeah, that's interesting, and I think I think you're right. And that so, so practices might do things um, which we call significant event audits or root cause analysis. But basically, it's just looking at what what, at what happened and, and trying trying to learn from it. And I think um, that trying to learn from it part is really important, don't you? I think acknowledging that something has gone wrong, and I think that's the other thing. Um, veterinary surgeons are held in such high esteem by their clients that they don't want to admit, they, and it's the same with human in human medicine, surgeons and GPs and in all parts of the healthcare system, nobody wants to admit a mistake has happened. The mistakes do happen, and it can be human error, it can be circumstances on that particular day. But I think if a, if a client knows that the reasons for something, have a significant event happening, um, has been investigated and protocols have been put in place to um, stop, you know, to mitigate this happening again. I think that's very reassuring, very reassuring. And I don't think a vet should ever, um, if there is a case where an apology is needed, I don't think a vet should feel that makes them um, 
any less professional. In fact, I think it makes them more professional apologising because sometimes a simple sorry is all a client really wants. They just want to be acknowledged that the treatment for or whatever part of the procedure hasn't gone right. They just want to be acknowledged that the fact that they feel it hasn't gone right is, you know, is, is right. Yeah, that, that, that's, really, that's really interesting to get a, a client's perspective on it, Caroline. Thank you. That, that's really interesting. And the other thing is we could probably involve clients a bit more positively, couldn't we? Not just when things go wrong. Absolutely. I think practices have the ability nowadays with Facebook, with emails, um, um, within the surgery, um, on the television screens of communicating with clients over a whole load of things. I've been involved in a client focus group um, at a practice and I think that's a very good way forward of connecting with your clients and giving them the ability to communicate with you when things aren't going wrong so that if things do go wrong they feel more reassured that they will be listened to. But yeah, that's really interesting because I think we assume what clients think as vets and veterinary nurses. We think, oh, um, we, we won't we won't do that because the clients wouldn't like it or we will do that because the clients would like it. But we just make assumptions um, and, and assumptions are never good things, are they? So I, I, I agree with you. I think having client focus groups or client surveys. Yes, absolutely. It, I, I think, yes, client service is a very simple way to do it. You know, it, it wouldn't involve too much extra manpower the, in the reception area. There could be a questionnaire. And I think I, I would say from dog owners that I know, they want to get involved. They want to get involved with the care of their pets, etc. So um, and feel part of it. And the other thing. The other aspect I think is important that communication takes place when things aren't going wrong is because if there is a if there is a problem, um, the client feels more reassured that they will be listened to, and often I think if they don't if that mechanism isn't in place, I think clients if they're feeling a bit disgruntled could just leave a practice, and. And then that's bad publicity for that practice. So I think it's important for practices to, to actually have the ability to listen to their clients because often things can be diffused very easily just with a simple conversation and you have a happy client and a happy vet and a, thing that, and a happy pet. So what could be better than that? Sounds perfect. I mean, I think we've, we've all read these things where a person who's happy tells a couple of people and a person who's unhappy tells about 10 people. <laughs> because I've heard that when I'm out dog walking, people often say the first question is, what vet do you go to? It's a bit like if you have children, what school do they go to? So I think it's very important to try and keep lines of communication open at all times and and, and to listen and to listen. I think you're right. I think we have to listen to clients. And I think at the end of the day, we all have to be aware um, that we're all working as a team, the people in the practice and the owners as a team for the best outcome for that pet, aren't we? And if we keep that at the front of our mind, that's that's the really important thing. And we all want to to make improvements. Gosh, that's been really, really um, fascinating, Caroline. Thank you so much for your time. It's really given me an insight and hopefully will to the other people listening to this um, on, on the clients' views on these things and how um, and how quality improvement is important to clients too. So thank you very much. For further courses, examples and templates for quality improvement, please visit our quality improvement pages on our website 
at rcbsknowledge.org. Thank you.